Um, I do give myself those days where like I get 15 minutes where I can just cry about it, you know, let it all out, um, scream about it, whatever I have to do. Um, yeah. I mean, I think people deserve those days every once in a while because no one's life is perfect. Everyone has the bad with the good. And um, sometimes you have to let those emotions out. But yeah. once those 15, 20 minutes are over, then forget about it. Push it to the side and start focusing on the good again. Welcome to the Inside Game with your host, Dr. Julie Amato. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Inside Game podcast. I'm Julie Amato, sports psychologist, and I have the awesome privilege of working with college and professional athletes on their mental wellness and mindset. I've also been having a ton of fun interviewing WNBA players for this podcast. And I think you're going to enjoy this week's conversation. It is with Lauren Cox. Lauren uh, has an awesome basketball resume. It is truly impressive. She was the number one ranked recruit in the nation coming out of the state of Texas in 2016. She was recognized as the National High School Player of the Year by the WBCA. So Lauren is really good at basketball, obviously. She was a McDonald's All-American also during her senior year in high school. And she ended up going to Baylor where she was a three-year starter. She won a national championship her junior year. And her senior year, unfortunately, like so many other athletes, was cut short due to the COVID pandemic. But in spite of that, she was a unanimous first team All-American. She also won the Pat Summit Award for Courage for her work with type 1 diabetes. Lauren was selected with the third overall pick by the Indiana Fever in the WNBA draft, and she just finished her rookie season. Lauren is super down to earth, very mature for her age, as you will see. She talks about how having to manage type one diabetes since age seven forced her to grow up quickly. And it also forced her to learn how to deal with and do difficult things. Let's dive right into this conversation with Lauren Cox. Lauren, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing great. It's really good to see you. And, um, you know, thank you so much for agreeing to chat with me today. I think it's going to be a cool conversation. Yeah, of course. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Yeah. So Lauren, I, I know, you know, some of the people who listen to this podcast, or I would say probably most of the people are fans of women's basketball. So a lot of folks probably already know about you and who you are. Um, but just for anyone who might just be listening for mindset, mental health stuff, like Tell us a little bit about you and your journey. I mean, you have like an amazing basketball resume and history and, and, you know, maybe you can talk a little bit about your path if you're open to that. Um, yeah. So I grew up in a sports family. Um, I have three younger sisters who all play sports. My parents both, both played college basketball. So, um, as soon as I could walk, I had some kind of ball in my hands, um, and played all kinds of sports. Um, in high school, I narrowed it down to volleyball, basketball, and then um, in the end chose basketball. Decided to go to Baylor University, um, which was close to home for me. It was only about an hour and 45 minutes away, so that was pretty important. Um, had a pretty good career at Baylor. Um, my freshman year was a little rough, you know, going to a new team, a different style of play than in high school. So it was a little rough for me, but um, after that, I felt like I 
played good, won a national championship my junior year. Um, had a few injuries along the way, but um, got through all of those. And then I was drafted third overall to the Indiana Fever. Um, this first year was interesting, just being in the bubble and um, not having a normal season. So that was kind of tough. And uh, now here I am in the off season, just uh, rehabbing my knee from a little injury I had towards the end of the season and um, just enjoying some time with my family. That's awesome. You know, it's so interesting. Um, you bring up about your freshman year because I feel like every WNBA player that I've interviewed on this podcast has talked about a rough freshman year. <laughs> it's like, and so I, I think it's encouraging in a sense for those who will, you know, maybe not make it to the WNBA to see that even the, you know, the most elite performers, that transition from high school to college basketball is challenging. And, you know, you were a little modest there when you said you had a pretty good career, but Lauren, you were like the, I, correct me if I'm wrong. I think like the national player of the year in high school. Um, I feel like that was the WBCA national player of the year, like top, one of the top recruits. I was the number one recruit coming out of high school. Um, right. <laughs> that was a long time ago. I don't even remember some of the stuff from high school. I pulled that up off the internet, Lauren. You can find everything. <laughs> but the point is that, man, like you're the, here you are the best, you know, high school player in the country. And then the, that first year, even for you, is challenging. Like, can you talk about that a little? Because I don't think I know this story or, or what was challenging for you. I, I imagine, I mean, of course, I want to hear about playing for Kim and what that was like, but... Yeah. Um, so like I said, I was the number one player coming out of high school. And I mean, that had a lot of expectations just on its own. And then I had really high expectations for myself and I went in, there were already five post players at Baylor. Um, and I knew that I was going to have to fight for my spot, fight for my playing time. And I was up for that. I'm a competitive person. I want to play for the best team. I want to win championships. So that's one of the reasons why I chose to go to Baylor. Um, and it was just hard. The game is completely different from high school to college. Um, it's faster, it's more physical. Um, there's just a lot of different things that you have to adjust to and you don't really know what to expect because you've never been in that position before. Mm -hmm. So that was hard for me. And then when I would get in the game, if I would mess up, I was super hard on myself, just, like, oh my gosh, why did you do that? Like, you could have done this, you could have done that. Um, so I just got down on myself. And with five post players, Coach Mulkey was just rotating us in and out. So if you made a mistake, you knew you were walking to the bench because you were coming out. Right. Um, and kind of what helped me get over that was my sophomore year. Um, we had some transfers, we graduated a few posts. So it was really Kalani Brown and I in the post. And then we had another player, um, Dakia Cohen, who was kind of playing the three, four. So she didn't have that luxury of if we made a mistake, we weren't getting pulled. We had to play through our mistakes. And that kind of helped me get over that hump and um, just start being more comfortable. Yeah, no, totally. I think I had an episode here with Bella Allery who described something really similar. Um, so Bella went to picks after you in this year's draft, but a very similar experience of like that first year where 
that critical voice, you know, in your head and, and really wanting to be perfect and wanting to get it right and, and show this new coach and this new team that, you know, they made the right decision and inviting you to be there and yeah. all those pressures and expectations and everything's just amplified. Um, but it's so cool because you ended up sort of learning from that, right? And then sophomore year, you come and and you get to make a really big impact and you're starting and um, just crushing it. But I love that idea. And maybe hopefully some coaches are listening to this of allowing players to just have to like battle through and make mistakes. I mean, do you think there's value in that? Yeah, I think there definitely is because if you're getting pulled after every mistake, you know, you're going to be afraid of doing things that might cause a mistake. Um, so instead of making an extra pass to an open shooter, you're, you don't make that pass because you don't want it to be a turnover, that kind of thing. Or mm -hmm. you don't shoot an open shot because you don't want to miss and make that mistake. So I think definitely being able to play through those mistakes helps a lot and helps you be a lot more comfortable in what you know that you know how to do. Um, but you just, you kind of have to prove it to yourself and just get over those mistakes. Yeah, totally. Was it like doing freshman year all over again when you ended up uh, as a rookie this year in the W or was that a different experience altogether? A little bit of both. Um, I think getting there late because I had COVID um, before we went to the bubble. So I missed training camp. I missed going through all the plays. So I felt like everyone else was up here and I was down here. Um, so I, I tried not to be so hard on myself as I was my freshman year of college. Um, I tried to tell myself that this is a unique situation. We're playing in a bubble. We're playing every other day. You're going to make mistakes. Um, and that kind of, that kind of helped me get over it. Um, just talking to myself, reminding myself, don't do what you did your freshman year again. Um, yeah kind of don't make that mistake again, right. um, learning from that and not doing that again. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like one of your main sort of mental skills or strategies is just that sort of coaching yourself and, mm -hmm. and, you know, being more compassionate and, and positive self-talk. And of course, as a sports psychologist, I'm teaching all these things, but <laughs> I imagine it's hard to actually like do that in the moment. And that takes, you know, practice. And then sometimes, you know, I don't know, your coach at Baylor seems like an intense kind of person. Um, how do you, how do you kind of do that or have the discipline to kind of stay up and stay optimistic and, and kind of gentle with your self-talk when you've got like these intense environments that you're being thrown into it? Was that like a struggle at Baylor? Did this take time? Or you just kind of built this way? Like, how did you get there? I think learning from everything my freshman year really helped me to get there. Um, and then, like I said, my sophomore year was really that like prominent year where I just learned a bunch of new things. And I, I got over that um, being afraid to make mistakes. Um, and then I knew it was up from there because um, I was a lot more comfortable. That's the thing. You just have to get comfortable with it. You can't play tense. Um, yep. You can't be stressed out. You just have to go out there and just get in a flow and just play your game. Yeah. What was it like playing for Coach Mulkey? <laughs> might be uh, hard to summarize. <laughs> yeah, it, that might take a while to yeah. tell you everything. But um, she she's great. She's an amazing coach, an amazing person. Um, 
she was one of the reasons why I picked Baylor. Um, she's a competitor and she hates to lose. Um, when we lost games, it <laughs> that practice the next day, you were dreading it because you knew that she was just going to be yelling. And I mean, you have to understand that that's just her. That's she hates to lose. And um, I can take that. I can take someone yelling at me and she knows how to get under your skin and push you um, as much as you need to be pushed to be your best. And uh, I like that about her because she got the best out of you. And um, it takes a certain kind of person to handle that because she, I mean, she can be mean sometimes and say some pretty harsh things, but at the end of the day, she really cares about you and wants the best for you. And that's what I really loved about her. Yeah. I mean, I think as a coach, it's that balance of like, you have to be super demanding and to try to get the most out of your players. But I don't think you can do that unless you have what you just said, which is like, you knew she cared about you and establishing that first, then she can demand and demand and be intense and say stuff. Um, But if you don't have that, you know, you're going to have players who just don't respect you or want to follow you. Right. I think that's another big thing. You have to have that respect and she was a great player. I mean, she has a whole list of accolades. And um, so all of her players that come through there really respect her. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's easy when you've got that credibility, right? It's like, I get the game. I know the game. I've been doing this a pretty long time at a high level. And I'm guessing there weren't too many practices that you had a dread because I don't think you guys lost very many games. Did you? (laughs) Uh, I think we lost a total of eight games in my four years. Um, So we didn't have too many of those, but I remember a lot of them because they were, they were pretty tough. What was it like winning a national championship? Cause I watched that game and um, you went out with injury right during that game and and then it was just like I don't know if you ever watched like the coverage of it I'm guessing maybe you have by now but like you know you kind of coming back and like crushing back onto, onto the court like what was going through your mind um so when I first went down I immediately thought I tore my ACL um that's just that's the kind of pain that I was in um And then even watching it after, I'm like, how did I not do anything worse than what I did? Because it was gruesome. I can't even watch it anymore because I hate that kind of stuff. But um, my mind immediately went to that and I was in tears. Um, Coach Mulkey came out on the court and told me it was going to be okay. Um, We're going to take care of you. Uh, And then going back into the locker room or into the training room, um, I was just in tears, kind of in shock because like I had never had a major injury like that before. Um, So it was hard. And um, my parents came back there and were with me and they actually had a TV with the game on it behind me. So I couldn't see it. But my mom was standing in front of me watching it behind me and started to see Notre Dame come back. And she kind of told the trainer, she's like, we can't let her see that. Um, Cause she's going to want to go back out there and play again. And um, so when I made the decision to go back out there, I didn't even know that Notre Dame was starting to come back and we were starting to lose our lead. Um, I just knew that I was one of the leaders of the team and I needed to get back out there and show them that I was okay and make my voice heard during timeouts on the sideline. Um, I just knew I needed to get back out there. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's amazing because, you know, you talk so much about 
leadership, you know, again, as a sports psychologist and meeting with athletes and teams, it's like, you know, lead from wherever you are. Maybe it's from the bench, you know, we don't always know where it's going to be or what your role is going to be. But for you, you're obviously a primetime player on that team. And then to go through that, you know, level of pain and in your mind, you're like, I tore my ACL. So obviously you were not in a good place, I'm guessing emotionally, but to hold that. And then at the same time, say like, the team needs me, like they need my presence out here, even if just to cheer and to see that I'm okay, I'm not going to allow that to even be like a thought in their minds. Like that's courage, man. (laughs) Straight up. I mean, like you are tough. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I've, I've dealt with worse in my life being diabetic, you know, that's an everyday thing. So um, I've had that tough toughness in me since I was seven years old and I was diagnosed and um, I kind of always tell myself it, it could be worse, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. So it was a huge blessing that it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be that I didn't have to have surgery, didn't have to sit out the next year. Um, Just a lot of prayers answered. Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. I'm really glad you brought up the diabetic piece. I know you, you brought it up in you know, such a sort of humble way, but quite honestly, Lauren, um, I'm a mom. I've got eight-year-old twins, a boy and a girl. And um, when I read your Players' Tribune article, it is it was the tipping point of why I needed to have you on this podcast, quite honestly. It is so well-written, first of all. So like, I could tell you're really smart because that is like, it's just I appreciate good writing. Like it's well-written, you know, um, <laughs> compelling. And just, you know, if it was like a college paper, it would get like A plus for sure, right? Um, so, so good on that. Um, but then yeah. So just to hear you talk about being diagnosed with diabetes at age seven and all the things that you have to go through every single day. For me, I was like, I got to get her on this podcast because right now people are struggling. I mean, people are really struggling with the uncertainty of this pandemic and having to be you know, on lockdown sometimes and quarantining and not knowing if you're going to have a season. And, you know, I guess like big a adversity. I mean, there's just stuff, you know, the election and racial unrest. I mean, like, it's like collectively we're all going through something huge. And, you know, the title of your article is for anyone that's been through it. And I just thought it was so inspirational, you know, kind of the way you've not just dealt with adversity, but I think at one point you say like, you know, not just dealing with it, but like thriving through it. So I just think, you know, we could all learn so much from you. And Again, as a mom of eight-year-olds, I'm thinking, I'm just trying to envision my kids doing all the things that you had to do starting at age seven. Like, can you talk about that a little bit? Because like I said, I think that's something that would be good for people to hear right now. Just this whole idea of, man, like life throws some hard stuff at you and then you got to like deal with it. Yeah. Um, So I was seven years old. Um, I was running summer track and I went from winning all my races to losing all my races. So my parents knew something was up and they went and got me tested, um, did some blood work. And I was at my sister's soccer practice eating a pop tart. Um, I will never forget, (laughs) but um, they took the pop tart from me and they were like, we have to go. Um, We have to go to the hospital. Um, And I was, I was freaked out. I didn't know what was going on, you know? I knew hospitals weren't where I wanted to be. I wanted to be outside playing with my friends, my sisters. Um, So we got there and 
I, I don't even remember what my blood sugar was, but it was extremely high and they started poking me with a bunch of different needles, you know, giving me IVs, um, poking my fingers to test my blood sugar. And I was scared. I, I didn't know what was going on. Uh, my parents, they were scared too, because we, we didn't know anyone with diabetes at the time. Um, they didn't really know much about it. Um, so I was in the hospital two or three days, um, just trying to learn everything, um, talking to nurses, watching them poke my finger, give me a shot, learning how to count my carbs, um, everything like that. So I, I had to mature really quickly. Uh, I mean, I was seven years old. I was in my best life. And then, um, that kind of hit me. Um, so that was hard and, um, I had to grow up really quickly and, um, start learning how to do all this different stuff and that you can't take a day off from it. It's 24 seven, 365 days a year. You, you can't take a day off because it could possibly kill you. Um, and I, I always try to find like the good in everything that I go through. And, um, I didn't really realize it until I got to college because I was kind of embarrassed by it. I didn't really want people looking at me while I was testing my blood sugar. I didn't want people asking me questions about it. Um, and then when I got to Baylor, Coach Mulkey, she was like, you need to use this. You need to inspire people because you have, there are type one diabetics all over the country that need someone like you to look up to. And that kind of started um, kind of what I do now is advocate for it and um, talk to people if, People reach out to me on social media all the time, um, and I try to get back to them um, as much as I can, just with encouraging words. And so I, like I said, I try to find the good in it. I'm, I have to deal with this crappy disease every single day, but I'm at the same time I'm inspiring people all across the country, and that really means a lot to me. That's amazing. That's amazing, honestly. And you know, I don't know if people realize, I certainly didn't, to be honest with you. I mean, I knew type one diabetes, you have to, you know, watch your sugar and check your sugar. But I think when I read it on like the actual words that you said, which was wake up, test your blood sugar before breakfast, take a shot for what you ate for breakfast, Mm -hmm. test again, two hours later, test again before lunch, take a shot for what you ate for lunch, Mm -hmm. test again, two hours later, test again before dinner, take a shot for where you ate for dinner, test again, two hours later. And that's the minimum. My head was like, (laughs) it's it's not just check your sugar. It's like, to your point, a commitment and, um, and, and really a commitment without a choice. So right now, not only are you inspiring people with type one diabetes, right? Um, just this idea mentally that, Sometimes there are things that you just decide there's no choice and there's no excuse. You're just going to do it. Yeah. That is, that is some old school toughness that I think <laughs> sometimes people are lacking a little bit. Um, and you got to give that kick in the butt, but have you translated that into kind of your, is that just sort of like your mantra now for, for sport, for life? Like, Hey, like there's tough things, but I'm kind of built to handle tough things and I'm not going to allow anything to be an excuse for me. Yeah, I think, um, like I said, I developed that at an early age, um, had to mature really quickly and learn to be tough um, in the diabetes world. And then 
I don't think it really translated to the sports world until I got to college and because high school things were pretty easy for me I mean right um, (laughs) uh, to be honest and so in college when I started going through these challenges um, I kind of already had that toughness and I just had to move it from the diabetic world over to the sports world yeah uh, I did underline the one thing you said here um, was really cool Um, managing a condition like diabetes and reaching the highest level of a sport reaching the highest level of anything honestly actually have something pretty essential in common in both cases there are no days off which means just no excuses i was like Boom. Mic drop. (laughs) That was so good. It was so good. So in working with athletes right now who are struggling to find motivation to train and they don't know when they're going to be playing, I just keep asking them quite simply, like, what is your goal? And if your goal is to be great, win championships, then kind of like you, Lauren, with diabetes, there really is no choice. I mean, it takes what it takes. There's no way around it. And it's just day to day doing the work. I think that's another thing. Like if you set goals during this time, like that really helps and like writing them down too, not just having them up in your head, but if you write them down, then you, and you put it somewhere where you're going to see it every day that I think that can really help. Do you do that? Have you done that in the past? Yeah, I've done it before. Um, I did it a lot in high school. Um, Mm -hmm. probably need to do it again. Um, and it's not just like short-term goals either. It's long-term like, 10 years from now, am I still going to be playing? Am I going to be, am I going to have a real job? Um, You know, just like stuff like that, just write it down, put it somewhere where you're going to see it every day so that every day you're working towards that goal. Yeah. I think that's one way to find inspiration on those days. You don't feel like it. Was that something you wrote down like WNBA? Did you write that? That's always been a dream of mine. Yeah. It like makes the hair on my arm stand up when I hear that. It's like I wrote it down, I saw it every day, and then it just kind of drove me. I love that. That's good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> what was it like banging with Kalani Brown every day? Oh gosh, that was tough, especially my freshman year, because Kim just threw me in there and was like, "All right, go push around with Kalani." Oh my god. Like, oh my gosh, I've never faced someone this tall before, this physical before. Uh, so that was hard, um, but. Kalani and I became really good friends and um, we still keep in touch with each other and we developed that really good relationship. And I think we made each other better. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the two of you on the court at the same time, again, not fair, (laughs) not fair. (laughs) I actually saw her. I met her in person really briefly after a New York Liberty game, obviously not this year in the bubble, but the year before. Mm -hmm. And, um, one of the Liberty players, uh, Asia Durr was talking to her and introduced me to her. And I told her, I, I was like, Hey, like I'm the sports psychologist working with Cal women's basketball. And you guys had beat them by like 50 points in the tournament that year. I said, that wasn't cool. I like, at all. like at all. She was like, sorry, we had to do that. They have a good team. Like we, we couldn't allow it to be close. Whatever she, I mean, she was great, but I was thinking about the two of you on the court together, super formidable. And now you're, on a team you got big T yeah well which must be really fun hopefully we can get that kind of same relationship that Kalani and I had and kind of get that high low game working because that'll be fun 
That would be really fun. So what was the first year like for you? I mean, I know you mentioned about having COVID and we didn't, we kind of even glossed over that, like with diabetes and stuff. Were you scared? I mean, how did it, how did that go? I wasn't too scared. Um, just because I have really good control over it mm -hmm. and, um, I'm in good shape. I'm fit. Um, so I wasn't really too scared and it wasn't bad. I mean, I got, cold like symptoms you know stuffy nose I had a cough um the worst part was losing my taste and smell did you get that oh yeah that was it was weird um I, I ate so healthy for that, those two weeks <laughs> might as well <laughs> this is the week to eat celery <laughs> so that was definitely the weirdest part and that took a while to come back I didn't get my full taste back until like four weeks after I had it yeah um, so that was that was weird, but I wasn't really scared about it. Um, I knew that as long as I kept my numbers in check, then I would be okay. Yeah, yeah. So, like, what was it like when you finally? So finally, you get cleared, right? Like from COVID, and you can show up in the bubble. Like, were you starstruck in there? Were you like, this is where I totally belong, or somewhere in between? Like, how did that go? Um, I don't really get starstruck. Um, I just. I mean, it was really cool just being around people that you looked up to as a little girl, um, you know, like the Sue Birds, Diana Taurasi, I played against Candace, Parker, Sylvia Fowles before she got hurt. Um, mm. It was just, it was really cool. Um, and one of the people that I have kind of always looked up to was Elena Deladon and um, she wasn't there in the bubble, but I'm really looking forward to getting to play her in the future because I think that'll be really fun. Oh, that's a one way to put it. Yeah, I'm sure it would be really fun <laughs> to play against her. Um, who was the toughest to guard this year for you? Um, I don't know. Sylvia Fowles, she is extremely strong and yeah. she knocked me around a little bit. <laughs> so that was pretty tough. Um, I guarded Brianna Stewart a couple times and I mean, she's one of the best. And that was that was tough. Yeah. I, I like those challenges. You know, I take mm -hmm. defense personally. And um, so it was, I liked them. It was fun. You're super efficient. I was looking at like your, your numbers in college, but then like even just getting a couple minutes here and there in games, like, I just feel like you make the most of it. Um, I mean, is that, is that being mentally engaged? Is that just, I mean, how do you do that with respect to efficiency year after year after year? Because I think a lot of players strive for that, but they can't execute it. Like, do you have any like tips to share on that? Or is that just kind of a flowing of um, who you are as a player? <laughs> I think this year, especially um, after the first few games and seeing that I wasn't going to get very many minutes. Um, I don't know if I was being a rookie. I don't know if I don't know what it was, but yeah. um, seeing that I wasn't going to get very many minutes, I knew that when I got out there, I had to make the most of those minutes. And um, mm -hmm. if I did do that, then I was happy with my performance, whether I got five minutes, 15 minutes, whatever it was, if I made the most and did a little bit here and there, then I was happy with myself. And I'm one of those people that is willing to do anything to win because I'm a competitor. So if I need to score, I'll score. If I need to play defense, if I need to rebound, if I need to make the extra pass, whatever it is, I'm willing to do that. Yeah, I think it's totally, um, I mean, the mindset 
should be the same, but I think the mindset coming off the bench can be really challenging for people because, you know, starters have a pretty long leash, right? Yeah. Starters can play through a lot of mistakes and not get pulled out as we talked about earlier, but when you're coming off the bench, I think where some athletes get tripped up is they do have those, you know, that inner dialogue of like, I can't mess up. If I mess up, I'm going to get pulled out. Um, but I really love the way you frame that. Like, Hey, like I'm just gonna go out and make the most of it. I think that kind of self-talk is really, really important. And I feel like you've become really skilled at that, which is so cool. Yeah, and that's one of the things that Tamika Ketchings told me too. Mm-hmm. Um, it's great having her within our organ- organization because she was such a great player and she's been through what we're going through. And she, that's one of the things she told me was just make the most of your minutes. Um, no matter how many you get, just make a difference. Yeah, totally. So most players in the W right now, well, I don't know if it's most, maybe I'm not saying, maybe that's not true. Many, maybe most are playing abroad. Would you say? Yeah, I think a lot of them are. Yeah. But you're home in Texas, <laughs> um, dealing with yet some, some more adversity, but how, how is that piece going for you with, with recovering from injury? It's been good. I got um, three PRP injections in my patella tendon, Mm. um, which they take my blood, they spin it and get the platelets out. And then they put the platelets back into my knee. um, And it's supposed to help with the healing process. Um, So the injections, I got them, I got three of them two weeks apart. Um, and then I've been doing some rehab in between them. I just kind of started getting back to doing some cardio. Um, I am actually going to Indy next week to see the trainer, see the doctor, just kind of, uh, so they can see where I'm at and so they can give me some programs to get on and just get back into it. But, um, it's nice being back home. Um, like I said, I try to find the good and the bad. Uh, I've gotten to spend a lot of time with my family. So that's been nice. That's a choice though, Lauren, right? I mean, a mental choice. So like I bring that up because, you know, again, a lot of college athletes right now, their campuses are virtual and they're home and home with the family. And so it's, it's either like, oh, I'm stuck at home with the family or, you know, regardless of how awesome your family is. Some people are really in that, oh, like I'm really stuck at home versus like, oh, isn't it so nice? I get to Mm -hmm. spend some time with family. Is that just a choice like day to day for you to just, as you said, kind of see the best? Um, Yeah, I think so. And I mean, going back to that example of just being with the family, I think not everyone is blessed with a great family that they get along with and siblings that they're best friends with. So um, if that's not your good in the bad, then find something else. Um, you just, you kind of have to make that choice of not focusing on the bad and trying to find something good in it. Yeah. That takes discipline. It's, I always say too, it's, it's simple, but not easy. Those are two different things. Like losing weight, the formula, super simple, (laughs) right? Just taking fewer (laughs) calories than you've burned, right? It's like so simple. Um, not easy though. Um, so I do think having this kind of framework that you've learned since age seven, which is like, look, like I'm going to pout about this for a bit. I'm going to be sad. All my friends are playing and, you know, I'm struggling here and I got to check my blood sugar and, you know, you can kind of sulk about that for a little while. Um, and then eventually it seems like you, I mean, specifically kind of hit this place where you're like, 
look, this is what it is. Um, I have to deal with it. I don't have a choice. And so now I just need to focus on, you know, the things and bring my attention to the things that are going to be helpful and positive in my life. Um, that takes work and discipline. Yeah, I think it started at a young age, um, just growing up so fast. And I mean, like I said, diabetes is an everyday thing and I can sit here and pout about it every single day because it's not going away anytime soon. Um, technology has definitely made it easier, but I, I still have it. I still have to worry about it. Um, and I could sit here and be, why me, um, poor me, that kind of thing. But that's just not the way that I want to live. Um, I do give myself those days where like I get 15 minutes where I can just cry about it, you know, let it all out, um, scream about it, whatever I have to do. Um, yeah. I mean, I think people deserve those days every once in a while because no one's life is perfect. Everyone has the bad with the good. And um, sometimes you have to let those emotions out, but yeah. once those 15, 20 minutes are over, then forget about it, push it to the side and start focusing on the good again. So 15, 20 minutes, that's what you give yourself. Um, you try not to let it go days into weeks and, and things like that. But if that were to happen for you, or if that's ever happened, you know, for you, cause I mean, there, none of us make it through unscathed. We're all going to have our moments. Um, are there other things that you do to try to take care of your mental health and wellness? I don't know if you talk with people, if you journal, if you meditate, like are there things that you do or you, you feel like largely you've been able to just kind of, Hey, let me just let it out and then get back on track. And that typically works. I think, um, doing that and then just talking with my sisters, my parents, mm -hmm. um, I'm really close. Um, I'm a homebody. Uh, I like to be at home with my family. Um, yeah. I I have a dog named Lexi. Um, she she's kind of like an a, emotional support dog. She's not like registered or anything. They officially. all are. They don't need to be registered. They just are by their nature, right? She's just I I think for me personally, like having an animal, whatever it is, cat, dog, bunny, whatever you have. Um, I think that really helps. Um, <laughs> yes. And like I said, just talking with my sisters. Um, they can always make me laugh, whatever mood I'm in. They always cheer me up. Totally. I just got a beagle. He's super cute. His name's Camo. <laughs> He's like 10 weeks old. He's still trying to figure it all out. But man, that little tail starts wagging and they just, you know, just want to kiss you in the face. It's like, there's really no better medicine than that for sure. I love dogs. <laughs> oh, I know. They're so good. They're just pure, you know? Yeah, I know. And they get it. Like, I don't know how they vibe it, but they do. They kind of can vibe your moods. It's like a superpower. Yeah, totally. Um, any advice for the athletes right now? I mean, obviously the things you're saying are just awesome and super insightful and, and um, inspiring really your, your story and your journey, but any advice for athletes or people right now who are just uh, like, I don't know if I'm going to have a season and their whole college career could just be gone. Um, obviously you had to go through some of that, mm -hmm. um, this past year, right. Where, you know, the opportunity to compete for another national championship was just kind of stripped away. Um, I don't know if you have, you know, if, I don't mean to re-traumatize you with that, by the way. Um, how did you get through that? Like any thoughts or advice on kind of how to manage that piece where, 
gosh, you just don't have control. Like your season and your career might just end in this really strange way. Um, I think I'm, I'm going to say it again, but focus on the good, you know, yeah. Yeah. Um, um, just enjoying the things that you do have and, um, telling yourself that, you know, this, this may happen or this may happen. Just don't, don't be like, oh my gosh, my season's over. Be like, okay, I might get to play. Um, I might get to play in a bubble. That's what I had to tell myself. You yeah. Know? We had no idea when our season was going to be. I just had to keep telling myself there's still a possibility. They haven't announced that our whole season is canceled yet. They haven't um, done any of that. So I just had to keep telling myself that there is still a possibility that it can happen. Yeah. So hope, optimism. Yeah. I think that's what athletes are looking for right now as we approach the spring and people are kind of waiting for decisions. Like, are we having a season? Are we not? Some of these spring sports and you know, smaller schools too. It looks like basketball is going forward for a lot of programs, but maybe not some other sports. So I really like that. And keep training and, exactly. and finding a purpose uh, and a reason to do that. And, and I really try to tell athletes like, look, like if you end up having a season and you already threw in the town, you didn't put in the work, like you're going to really regret that. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I couldn't imagine going into the season and not being ready uh, I still had to work out every single day. Like I was leaving in a week to go play. Um, Cause I didn't know when I was going to leave. And I just, yeah. I kept having that hope and it eventually happened and I was ready. Yeah. Awesome. Lauren, you've been so great. Thank you so much for your time and being so gracious with it and for sharing your, your story here. You are a tough cookie and um, you are definitely inspiring so many, so many people. So I hope um, people will follow you on social media. It's really fun you know, to follow athletes and things you're doing out there. And um, I really, really appreciate your time. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, you got it. You got it. All right. Best wishes to you, Lauren. All right. Thank you. Okay. Thank you for listening to The Inside Game. Please remember to like, subscribe, and comment to support the podcast.